When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. of Sean Connery watching soccer on satellite TV, NBC embracing uh, Jose's ugly game, UEFA inches closer to Champions League uh, changes, exciting news about our very first WST merchandise launch, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. And Kartik, I think this episode, more than any others in quite some time, has got some really fantastic listener mailbag. Uh, I, I think every week <clears throat> we get some really good uh, feedback and questions. Uh, this week especially, there's a good story in there, but also some really good um, feedback and observations. So we'll get to that in a little while. We've was, we also got some really uh, interesting TV ratings to talk about. Uh, we've got the uh, MLS Cup playoffs. So much to talk about. Um, where should we start, Kartik? What, what do you think? Uh, we can start. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to start to go in, in chronological order and start with Europa League last Thursday uh, and onward. Yeah. Or, or anything. Okay. Well, in, in that case, um, well, let's not go through every single day. Right. <laughs> All, right, right. right. But which, which, unless there was anything that stood out for you, like from this past week in terms of coverage, which. Um, in terms of football, actually, Champions League-wise, I thought this was a very good week in Champions League. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the group stage, so the matches are meaning are more meaningful, right? And and those were really excited, some really crazy games. But for you, from this past week, uh, it doesn't have to be Champions League, but what for you stood out as far as your, your favourite match that you enjoyed the most? The favourite match was probably... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say the best match of the week uh, to, 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 to watch was probably the, uh, uh, the, the Southampton-Manchester United match. Um, the, uh, the, my favorite match – oh, yeah, I, I know what I was going to say about this. Uh, my favorite match of the week – this is going to shock listeners, and maybe we'll get a lot of mailbag about this. My favorite match of the week was actually West Brom-Sheffield United. I watched it for 90 minutes. It was two teams that needed three points. It was, I thought, a very well-played match. I, I, I was uh, pleased to see uh, Mousset back for Sheffield United. He came on as a sub. 
uh, Lundstrom, who has been uh, frozen out by Chris Wilder, I think because of his contract situation. But right now, I, I think Sheffield United just have to ride him, even if he's not going to recite a, uh, another deal uh, to try and uh, stave off relegation. When Lundstrom came in, that match changed as well. West Brom were very good to watch in the first half. We know Slavin Bilic has been very much about playing with, uh, with wing backs. Uh, uh, going back to, to, to some of the last season in the championship. And uh, they were creating some good opportunities and were very, uh, very fun to watch on the break. So I, I actually, believe it or not, that's not a match I normally would even watch. Well, actually, it is a match I would normally even watch. But it, I, I thought it was a, a really fun game, an enjoyable match. Um, and then I would say it, it was also very, very rarely, I think, this early in the season, do you have a six-pointer that you really feel is is somewhat decisive in a relegation fight. And and as I said, Musse is back from injury, and Lundstrom got thrown on late. So maybe Wilder's fortunes will, will, will change after this, but it just felt like maybe that's it for Sheffield United. It just had that feeling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely a six-pointer, a relegation battle. This one, interestingly enough, um, I didn't watch this match. It was one of the ones I was like, you know what? You mean West Brom and Sheffield United have not impressed me much this season in terms of just their... You mean, there's been some dour matches involving those two sides. But uh, interestingly, actually, the TV rating for this one, um, I'm not sure if this is a good thing for NBC or a bad thing for Major League Soccer, but this one... Uh, a relegation battle, and it, it had more viewers on this one than Columbus Crew against Nashville in the MLS Cup playoff on Tuesday night on ESPN uh, in prime time. And this was on uh, was it Saturday, I think, NBCSN, uh, 3 o'clock. So it was that late game. Uh, there had already been a long day of football, and um, that one actually got 206,000 viewers and then 203,000 viewers for the Columbus-Nashville game. Uh, for, for me personally, uh, the match that stood out for me the most was, uh, I enjoyed the most, was uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, against Inter in the Champions League on Tuesday. And, th- and this was a game that every time I thought that Inter had wrapped it up and Luka- uh, Romelu Lukaku would score an incredible goal and single-handedly kind of win this one for, for Inter, uh, Gladbach kept on coming back and... Right up until the end of the game, uh, it was 3-3, right? And But then the referee disallowed uh, the goal, uh, whether it was a, um, the player blocking the view of the, the goalkeeper or offside, kind of some discussion about that. But the goal was called back, and then Inter wins the game, and Gladbach were furious because that, that point, uh, they, they could have had the point. If they had the point, it would have made a big difference in their group. But um, just a really entertaining game from start to finish. And we saw a lot of that. We saw uh, uh, Bazak Sheri against uh, RB Leipzig on Wednesday. That was a 4-3 game. Uh, And like you mentioned too, Kartik, that Southampton-Man United game. Uh, Man United come back with Cavani uh, scoring some late goals uh, to win that one. So so a lot of goals, a lot of uh, exciting matches. Uh, not all of them are like that, but um, but those are some of the ones that I, I know I enjoyed, and, and I'm sure you probably enjoyed uh, a bunch of those games, though, too. I will say, Kartik, as far as uh, Major League Soccer and, and the playoffs, mentioning that, um, I'm finding them more exciting than I uh, probably thought they would be. And, and I think what I like about the MLS playoff uh, format is that the games are one leg. It's, it's win or go home. 
and and when you have a match like that, when you have a situation where you I mean winner goes on to the next round, loser goes home. It reminds me a lot of the Champions League uh, during what kind of the end of last season when they had changed the format where the, the games were matters more. It was like, okay, who's going to win this game? It's like one game after another. <clears throat> and in, in the playoffs, I've watched um, the Orlando game against New England Revolution, especially uh, from this past weekend. Uh, anything can happen. Uh, the actual level, quality level of the football isn't the greatest. But the games are very wild, very, very, it, it is physical. Um, some bad calls, some calls that VAR, there seems to be no VAR used at times when you would think there would be VAR. But overall, the excitement level is kind of off the charts. It's 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 up up there. Um, so for me, personally, I've been enjoying, I mean, this this MLS season, I've probably watched more, uh, mostly because of Inter-Miami being in, in uh playing games but the MLS uh, playoffs have probably watched more pl- uh, playoffs this season than they have in, in many years and I'm enjoying it I mean hopefully uh, uh, the other games will be just as good unfortunately Nashville get knocked out but uh, I'm looking forward to to the rest of the games Kartik anything else um, from this past week that stood out um, one, one thing that was interesting I thought was um, NBC's analysis of the Spurs-Chelsea game and this is a game that both you and I picked as our, as our game to watch. Um, it was a nil-nil stalemate. Uh, Spurs went back top of the league with this point. Spurs got what they got. But what I found interesting, I'm not sure if you caught this, but at halftime and post-match, NBC said, I mean, they, they admitted, Rebecca Lowe admitted, I mean, I think Tim Howard and one of the two Robbies, this was an ugly game. And they really kind of framed it as kind of this is ugly football and framed it with uh, Jose Mourinho in mind in terms of uh, kind of playing this type of football. Even the commentators too, talking about kind of a, this is kind of a this started off really well, but kind of uh, evolved into kind of a uh, pretty uh, tight game. Did you catch that? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I, 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 I suppose they... Um they had some sort of expectation for the match. Uh, look, Mourinho has been very good at, th- at this, putting together tactical uh, match plans wherever he's been uh, throughout his career for for uh, for one match. I mean, I, I still remember the, the the game plan he put together. Uh, well, t- twice and twice against Chelsea, right? Being a, a Chelsea man himself, once with Inter in the Champions League in 2010, another time with Manchester United against Conte's. Uh, high-flying at the time, Chelsea, in 2017, I guess it was, to beat them. And he's got a knack for, for doing this. I don't think Spurs were as negative. I think they were in the first 10 minutes. I don't think they were not necessarily as negative as uh, as the commentators made it out to be. I think, again, there's there's a narrative about Mourinho, and, and they, they fell into it. I thought that there was a, there were efforts to play, and and I and I've said this before about the Spurs. They never make this analysis about them. But when you have that double pivot of Hoiberg and, and Sissoko, uh, they do they do a lot of things well, and they um, allow because that that double pivot is so good. They allow Spurs to ter- to transition quickly to to attacking play. I, I thought um, uh, Bergwijn had one of his better matches, uh, even though he didn't score a goal since coming over. Uh, and uh, so I, I I wasn't as down on that match as they were. 
I'm not quite sure what their, yeah. <clears throat> their expectation was. But, well, um, well I, I think the expectation, I mean, anyone that watched NBC Sports that week uh, or even like the week before, um, the ads that NBC ran all week long was American Phenom and Pulisic. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they really built the hype on this one. You I know, mean, the expectation being that he would be, he'd be back from injury, which he was. He came on as a substitute in the second half and he, and he played well. But I think I think that's part of it too. Is just that um, that hype level was pretty high on this one, and uh, with the game, to me, I think it wasn't um, it wasn't dour the way that Spurs played. It just played very controlled, very yeah. much. You mean kind of just tight and in control, and it, they didn't leave many gaps for for Chelsea to, to penetrate. Well, I was going to say I wish they wouldn't overhype Pulisic because I think Pulisic's role with this Chelsea team. Given how good Ziyech is, and Ziyech is good at doing multiple things, he's not as good on the ball or as technical as uh, as Pulisic is, but I think he's a better overall player in terms of his ability to, to play nice crosses, nice pass, quick passes on the ground, and also defend. But late in matches, when matches are stretched, Pulisic could be arguably the best impact sub in the Premier League if you bring them on late in matches and you have them run at people. So mm-hmm. I, I actually think that that's the, the right role for him. And I wish they would talk about that, that potentially, you know, he could be a guy that creates the, the amount of chances that, that a, uh, a Defoe used to when he would come on late in matches or Edin Dzeko or now uh, actually uh, his teammate, Olivier Giroud, uh, going back to his time at Arsenal. So um, I thought Pulisic played very well. I agree. And, and, um, uh, I, I wish they would keep this all kind of in context. And, and if the expectation is set properly for Pulisic, he's doing his job. He's doing a wonderful job. He did a great job in this match. But they don't set the expectation they set for him is that he's some sort of uh, messy like uh, Svengali character. He can never meet that level of uh, expectation. Yeah, and and the TV ratings for this one actually was the uh, most watched game uh, of the weekend on English language television. This actually beat out the game that was on NBC on Saturday, which was the Everton Leeds game, uh, and this this one, the Spurs Chelsea game, was on NBCSN on Sunday. Uh, Seven hundred forty four thousand viewers for that. So, so the hype was there. The people tuned in. Yeah, I mean, most of the listeners probably too. Um, and the game was, um, I mean, not not every game is going to be a classic by any means, but uh, I, I was entertained. I watched it. <clears throat> I was intrigued on this one. And uh, before we head into the new seg- segment, the one one more thing I, I want to add, Kartik, is I watched the uh, the uh, African Champions League final, and this was on BN Sports. This was uh, El Ali. Uh, beating Zamalek uh, two to one, uh, an all Egyptian final, and um, Drake Cordero commentating this one. But uh, that was something different. I haven't watched a uh, African Ch- Champions League final in quite some time, and uh, uh, good on BN Sports for showing it. It was a really entertaining game and uh, a big, big victory for um, Al Ali on that one. I can't take this. Move on to. Uh... Well, 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 go go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to mention the Cologne uh, Dortmund match of uh, Bundesliga Productions for the first time that I've uh, observed had some serious audio and technical difficulties. And and, and uh, credit to them, the commentators uh, were, were 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 talking about it throughout the match when they were having these issues. But there were some communication issues between the two commentators who may not have been in the same uh, same stu- uh, studio, which included Kevin McKenna, right? The, the former Canadian international, former Cologne player, mm-hmm. right? 
and uh, it got sorted before Cologne's first goal, but then it reappeared in the second half. So just a little red flag there because Bundesliga, the production of Bundesliga matches to me has been the best in the world of any league, uh, including the Premier League. I, I think yeah. they do the best job. So this was um, the first time I can remember in ever since you and I visited Goal TV in 2007 and we, we, talk, we remarked about how great the Bundesliga production was. The first time they had some real serious technical errors in a match I was watching. So uh, w- w- worth noting and, 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 and yeah. uh, assuming it's a one-off, but let's keep an eye on it, out for that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's good that you point that out too, Kartik, because um, in the past, say, nine months, right, since uh, COVID st- started happening, as far as the, the role of a commentator, it's changed completely. So now, more than ever, we, you've got commentators uh, not only calling games remotely. Yes, there still, still are um, commentators at some games. Uh, we saw on Wednesday, we saw uh, Clive Tilsley and Rob Green at Old Trafford for Man United against PSG. Um, you'll see Arlo White and Graham Lasso at some grounds around the Premier League. But for the most part, uh, people are doing the actual commentating remotely. And not just that, though, and this is the biggest change, is that the co-commentator and the commentator oftentimes are in completely different uh, uh, places. So the, the co-commentator could be doing it from his ha- his or her house, wherever he or she lives. And the commentator could, might be in a different country, might be in a, diff- a different state, might be somewhere completely different and is not in eye contact on next to that uh, co-commentator. And we've seen that too. And, and, and for anyone who's been watching tons and tons of soccer in the last nine months, you might have seen, uh, kind of gone almost behind the scenes and, and maybe at halftime or maybe uh, before the match starts and listening to some of the audio, because sometimes you'll catch them before, the, I guess they, they don't realize that they're actually on air, uh, that we can listen in, but sometimes you'll hear even, like, say, be in sports, you'll hear Thomas Rongan kind of dialing in uh, to the connection and joining uh, George Metellus, and, and they're talking a little bit, kind of just uh, some some talk before they go ahead and start uh, kind of well, who uh, when they think they're on there. But but yeah, definitely a good point there, Kartik. It's it's a whole different world right now as far as uh, commentating, and and mistakes happen from time to time. All right, so let's move on to TV streaming news. This first one is I'm not sure how much detail you you've kind of looked at this one, Kartik, but this one's an interesting one, and in some ways I'm not surprised. Yeah, so in an effort apparently to head off a European Super League, a breakaway. Uh, UEFA is going to discuss a new 10-game model for the uh, Champions League group stage, which would effectively put all 32 qualifiers for the group stage. Right right now we have eight groups of four. They would put them all on a single table, and uh, uh, you would play 10 group games, kind of round-robin group games, not, not not playing the same teams twice. You'd play one uh, at home, you'd play another team away, and they, and they wouldn't be paired by groups. Uh, Trying to just get people conceptually heads wrapped around this. And uh, uh, teams 1 through 16 would go to uh, the knockout stages of the Champions League. Teams um, 17 through 24 would go through to... Uh, the Europa League, and then obviously twenty-five through thirty-two would be would be knocked out, which in theory is what happens now. But they're in groups of four. Uh, this also would add additional fixture congestion. Right, we're talking about two more group stage matches, which uh, 
uh, sorry, four more group stage matches, which I, I don't think is uh, something that is going to go over real well <laughs> it, it, with, 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 with many people. So uh, it, it's on the table. It, it, it's being seriously looked at. But it's something that's going to raise concerns because, as I said, that's four more group stage matches. So if you're already talking about teams that play, uh, unless they're in Germany, if they're in the other uh, top four leagues in, in top four of the other top five leagues in Europe, they're playing 38 league games. They're playing uh, a fair number of cup matches. And uh, Spain has gotten rid of second legs and some of the Copa del Rey ties, but still they're, they're still playing at least one leg of those cup matches. And then you add four more group stage matches of the champions league to the mix that's uh that's a lot of games it it, it is but I, I mean it comes down to the money though again right because it's right now we in the champions league uh teams will play i mean guaranteed to minimum of, of six games and you mean if you're um i don't know fc uh midland or you're a ren or some of these other teams i mean you're out right you've got yeah. one more game to go in, in this group stage but you already know you you're not going to make it to the next round but this would guarantee 10 matches for each side, which means more revenue, um, maybe bigger sponsorship deals, more TV yep. revenue for sure, more games on television, etc. So this this really is kind of a, an answer to um, the big six and, and, and some of these other major clubs in Europe pushing uh, and threatening to, to launch a European Super League. And UEFA comes back and says, OK, well, what about this? What do you think about this idea? Um, kind of what, what they're coining the, the Swiss system. The the thing that's interesting about this, Kartik, is that um, in many ways, if you look at UEFA, UEFA has been a, a leader. It's been really kind of on the cutting edge of organizing soccer competitions. And then a lot of other federations follow suit. So, for example, the whole concept of the Champions League has been a massive hit, Right. Uh, even the Europa League, I think when the Europa League first launched, it was it, it was a joke, really. I mean, a lot of people still joke about Thursday night football, but I, th- I think in many ways, what the Europa League, what UEFA has done with the Europa League, has been really, really, um, it's it's gotten better. It's it's gotten more prestigious. It's gotten um, probably more people watching uh, the Europa League now than when it first launched, and uh, has a lot of. Um, um, kind of uh, credentials, really. And also they're launching next year the Europa Conference League, which is another competition. And this model is, I mean, this is, I mean, not to say that the Swiss, uh, Swiss system of the, the 10 guaranteed games is going to be a disaster, uh, but usually UEFA gets it right. And even with last season's uh, UEFA Champions League, and they had to go ahead and figure out a way to, you know, kind of uh, finish the season off. The way that they did it was fantastic. So, so on this one, I haven't, I don't have a, a, an actual opinion about it, whether or not this is going to su- succeed or not, or be worth watching or not until it actually happens. If it happens, uh, what's your take, Kartik? Do you think you might be for this or against this idea? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I, I'm. Uh... I guess if it saves off a European Super League, I'm for it, but uh, it, it's still progressively making matters worse in terms of fixture congestion and and uh, and the amount uh, amount of matches that that some of these guys have to play. Uh, it does. If it also helps the revenue of the Mitalans and 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 the Ren and and those sorts of clubs, as you mentioned, I'm for that because I think that one of the major objections I have to European Super League is it's going to displace, especially a club like Ren that's in a top league that 
has qualified for Champions League, uh, albeit it, yeah, we know how the season ended last year in France, right? And and, and why uh, it, it, it was different than the other leagues, right? They, mm-hmm. they, they, they did it on a pro ratio of, of points. But anyway, Ren qualified. So I, I would hate for them to, to lose out on that sort of revenue because of the... Uh, um, because of the European Super League, so I, I guess on balance, I'm probably for it, but would have to have to see the final details. Yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I'd like to see uh, see it if it does happen. I'd like to kind of experience it and, and see see how it plays out. Um, speaking of the uh, UEFA and speaking of uh, club football, uh, CBS Sports announced this week that uh, begin beginning next week, so beginning match day six, uh, Thursday, December tenth. Uh, CBS will go ahead and expand the the uh, the Golasa show uh, to include the Europa League on the final match day of of the actual uh, Europa League uh, group stage tournament. So it's going to be hosted by Nico Cantor. It's going to feature uh, Gus Poyet, uh, Rafa Honigstein, and uh, Julian uh, Loren. And um, they will dissect the Europa League, and so there's what there's there's two windows, right? There's the the twelve fifty five kickoff and the three o'clock kickoff. Uh, twelve games in each window, so a total of twenty four games. Uh, very much similar to the the Zona Football model, where it's a whip around show. They go around and show all the games and the I mean the actual highlights and the goals and the, the talking points. The big difference on this one is that uh, also it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. So for the first time uh, for CBS, up until this point, um, Europa League has been 100% streamed. Uh, but here's an opportunity to kind of introduce the Europa League to some people who might want to watch uh, the Whip Around show on television. And and to me, the Golasa show and, and actually the whole concept of Whip Around show is really made for the Europa League more so than the Champions League. The Champions League, sometimes there's match days where there aren't many goals. Sometimes um, an individual game is is more meaningful. But with the Europa League, with 12 games on at once, uh, there's guaranteed goals, uh, golasso, all over the place. And uh, oftentimes, I, don't, I mean, the viewer is probably less likely to have some teams that he or she would, would want to watch. They just want to watch for the, the pure enjoyment of it and the entertainment so starting uh, Thursday, December 10th, uh, starting at, I guess, 12.55, um, it's going to be on CBS Sports Network and CBS All Access, the Glasser Show. And can't take one more thing, and this is starting on Monday. So Monday uh, is the draw for the FIFA World Cup. Uh, it's going to be for the uh, European qualifiers. So as of uh, recording of this podcast, uh, we've found out that it's going to be shown live on <clears throat> uh, telemundodeportes.com and also the Telemundo Deportes app. Uh, it's going to be at noon on Monday. No word yet from Fox Sports whether they will show the draw. But after the draw is complete, we will know uh, which uh, European teams will be in which groups and we'll, uh, we'll know what the schedule is for the, the European games uh, to see which of these European teams will start uh, the journey to try to qualify for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. And uh, we've mentioned a few already in this podcast, uh, a few others that jump out, um, some some good numbers uh, for MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, Seattle against LAFC on Tuesday night on ESPN had 465,000 viewers. 
Uh, also, there was another game too. I think on ESPN. Um, actually, ABC had Orlando against the New England Revolution. Uh, Four hundred twenty-one thousand viewers for that, and uh, yeah, that's a, that, that, that. Those are some good numbers there for ESPN and ABC. Uh, Everton against Leeds on NBC on Saturday, uh, seven hundred eighteen thousand viewers, uh, and um, anything else? The Netherlands against uh, the U.S. Women's National Team, a friendly on ESPN two, uh, four hundred twenty-three thousand viewers for that one, which is a good number for a game that was played. I think it uh, kicked off about 12.30 Eastern time. All right, Kartik, um, let's move on to Listener Mailbag. All right, Listener Mailbag. First up is Paul W. Paul W. He says, uh, I actually bought a package in the early 1990s, mid-1990s, I guess it was, from a company in Canada. All you received was one Premier League game a week on a Saturday. They were called something like TNS or something similar. They sold it out. They sold out to Satanta. I can't remember if I bought it for one or two seasons. You had to have the big seven foot or ten foot satellite dish that moved from side to side to find the satellites. And, and let me just chime in on this one, Kartik. Too this this was my life in in I think the early nineteen nineties um, and into the mid nineteen nineties. Every Saturday, I would go to a pub in Boca Raton, Florida. And I think the the cover charge to get in to watch one game, and you never knew which game it was going to be, but it was it was twenty dollars. So you'd, you'd pay twenty dollars at the door, and that would just allow you to get into the actual pub. And they'd, they'd have back in the day on a big screen TV or, or on a projector, uh, they'd have the game, and it wasn't in HD; it was SD. But that just gives you an idea of how much um, soccer fans used to pay to watch one game a week. And that one game a week for me, um, I guess I was in my 20s, uh, that for me was the highlight of my week every week. I, I look forward to watching that game. Um, and, and Paul here talking about uh, actually signing up for the service. So, so let me continue uh, what Paul says. So, so he says, uh, they sent me down a receiver, a huge box about the size of a VCR. I had to have a tech uh, technician install it. They showed a lot of the Scottish games, Celtic and Rangers. I had to buy them in addition. The price for the personal, for, for Paul, the price for one Premier League game of their choice for the season was $1,200. Only the pubs bought into it. I will never forget what the owner told me. It was two guys. Uh, one ended up stealing stealing from the other one. And that's a whole other story. That only me and Sean Con- Connery were the only private <laughs> private citizens in the whole of the US and the Caribbean to buy it. And, and, and of course, Sean Connery recently um, passed away, unfortunately. But Sean Connery, for a long time, up until his death, lived in the Bahamas. And here's Paul W. here uh, in the United States back then. So both both him and Sean Connery were paying even twelve hundred dollars a season to watch one game a week. So so oftentimes I think a lot of uh, listeners and a lot of people on social media and just soccer fans in general complain about I don't know Peacock. You mean five ninety nine a month, or complain about uh, ESPN Plus? You mean five ninety nine a month? And here we have uh, somebody who was paying $1,200 a season for one Premier League game a week. So how about that, Carter? Can you, can you picture Sean Connery uh, watching, watching football on, on a big satellite dish? Yes. 
absolutely can, and 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 and, and I, I knew he was a football fan, so doesn't surprise me. Rod Stewart also, speaking of Scotland, uh, is a big football fan as well. Yeah, yeah, Rod Stewart's uh, a huge, huge Celtic fan, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and a fan of the a fan of the national team. Would not be surprised if we saw him maybe uh, at the Euros. Oh yeah, well yeah, he's he's always there. I mean, it, it, Rod Stewart. It seems like like we haven't seen him in a, in a while, just because uh, you know. Scotland hasn't qualified for anything. In <laughs> oh, he'll be very good in Europe, right? Right. I, 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 he'll be the first person he's to, getting up there in Europe, but he'll be there. No, nah, he'll be there for sure. Sure. So, so Paul, thank you for sharing that story. That's uh, really interesting. Uh, next up is David Catan. David says, when I listen to analysts breaking down games from the Premier League or the Champions League, I often wonder how they watch all the games to get ready to provide commentary. When there is one game, do they watch it? Uh, do they watch the game on on a big screen while taking notes? What happens when there are multiple games on at once? Do they watch all the games at the same time together, or do they divide the matches up between the analysts? This is part of the production process that I would love to know more about. Thanks to you and Kartik for a terrific uh, weekly podcast. So Kartik, we, we have experience with this uh, visiting NBC Sports a few years ago now, right? Uh, going to the studio, being there on a Saturday, behind the scenes, doing a behind the scenes documentary, uh, which is still live on YouTube. If you go to the the, the uh, World Soccer Talk uh, YouTube page, you can watch it. It's about 15 minutes. Really interesting. and gives you a lot of in-depth analysis and some interviews with Rebecca Lowe and Carl Martino and the, and the two Robbies, etc. But do, do you remember how, how they split it up? Yeah, I, I think that they they would individually watch different matches and compare notes. I remember them conversing uh, at at kind of the studio table uh, about because we were there for the 3 p.m. Well, we were there the whole day, but we were that included in being there was the 3 p.m. kickoffs, which uh, in a normal time, there are four or five, sometimes even six matches. Right. I um, cannot remember how many matches were were happening that day, but I remember very, uh, very uh, distinctly uh, Martino watching, focusing on one or two matches, Earl focusing on one or two matches and they conversing off-air about what they were seeing in each match. And yeah. then there was a match that NBCSN was showing itself, which uh, I guess they all were, were paying attention to, including Rebecca. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the other matches at that, at that uh, kickoff time, they, they had split up, at least the day we were there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think if I remember correctly, too, it was kind of like Rebecca says she would just swivel her chair around and and then watch it on the big screen, kind of the, the backdrop that you see uh, when you're watching the uh, Premier League mornings or the, the actual Premier League live. And you see those big, huge screens behind her. She would watch it on the big screen. And then I think Kyle said he preferred to actually go and watch it on one of the smaller screens and yeah, kind yeah. of the, the old match of the day studio, which was on the side. Um, and like you said too, that they would compare notes and, and kind of talk about uh, what what happened, so to keep everyone up uh, up to speed. The, the Champions League actually, I think it was on Tuesday. I think with the uh, CBS Sports, uh, I think during one of the segments they were showing um, Michael Richards uh, and his note taking, and he had like four legal pads. He was like kind of, uh, and they were showing footage of like kind of basically during a game what he was doing. And you could see actually the the desk that they have there in the Lond- London studio. Uh, when Jamie Carragher or uh, Michael Richards look down, they can actually see all the different monitor screens. Um, you can't see it as a viewer, but they can see it 
underneath underneath the actual desk. So I think that's the way that they do it too. So they can maybe, maybe split it up and, and kind of watch um, a couple of games each and uh, just stay on top of everything that's happening. But uh, yeah, great question there, David. Next up is Edward. Edward says, uh, and this is in regards to some of the criticism we were given NBC Sports for kind of really kind of um, kind of a, a step down in our uh, analysis in terms of our estimation of, of their of how well things have been going for them. But Edward says each weekend, the NBC crew is on air from 7am until four o'clock or 5pm. That is asking them to flip the switch for almost 10 hours, Saturday, Sunday on top of Friday, Monday matches. Having only one of their analysts start the early shift is not the worst thing in the world. Um, You have, you have to remember that uh, Robbie Earl and Robbie Musto also have a podcast, which adds another hour of content they have to produce. I have found myself watching more of the Premier League productions match day live extra than sticking with the NBC analysis. In fact, I have watched more of the 24-7 Premier League channel than NBC's own coverage. The, 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 trick, the tricky thing about that, though, too, is that uh, I think on match days, when, when NBC Sports begin their uh, pre-match coverage, if you go to the Premier League production or Premier League channel or Premier League TV channel, on Peacock, um, they don't show it. It's blacked out, and it says. I mean, it basically has the schedule, and it says, "Okay, you know, go watch it on on NBCSN." Um, so we we don't get to see that in the states, but uh, outside of those windows, I mean, we get access to all the other Premier League co- uh, production content, which is some really good stuff. But for me, it's uh, oftentimes it's hit and miss because I'm I'm not always thinking to tune in there first. Uh, but maybe I should because I, I, when I have done and when I've watched uh, some of the shows, it's been really, really, for the most part, good. Sometimes it's um, I don't know. Sometimes sometimes it's just uh, nothing too exciting, but but uh, it's, it's definitely recommended. Recommended. All right. Next up is Bill Reese. Bill C- says uh, I've been enjoying CBS All Access Golasso show, and it's made me wonder why. Another streaming service such as ESPN Plus could not do the same thing. On a random Saturday morning, ESPN Plus shows half a dozen Bundesliga matches, a few Serie A matches, random games from Scotland, Sweden, Denmark, Holland, the English Championship, even late kickoffs from the uh, Indian Super League. Surely there would be enough content for a whip-around show. I'd certainly watch it, but that's just one man's opinion. And I, I know that ESPN needs an audience greater than one. Yeah, so so really really some good suggestions there by Bill Reese. The tricky thing is knowing ESPN and knowing that the high level of production that they have and and the amount of time that some like an operation like this would take... Um, it would require a large crew. So, for example, uh, Kartik, you and I have been to visit um, Tuduene, Univision, and seeing their zone of football operation and uh, just understanding how many people are actually watching every single game and how many people it takes to, to put something on like that, which there's like, what, 24 games in one day. And they probably have a crew of about probably 20 to 25 people to do that. I guess the same thing for ESPN Plus, although it's a great idea to have somebody kind of uh, doing a whip around show for all of those leagues. Um, it would be just a huge undertaking in terms of number of staff because you usually have somebody that's watching the games 
uh, and then you have an assistant that's uh, helping out in terms of you mean kind of uh, finding those moments when something happens. Then you have the uh, production people. Then you have the host. It, it, it's a big it's a big operation. I, I know that when NBC Sports tried the whip around show for the Premier League and they did that a few times. I think they did it on um, New Year's Day one year. I think maybe even Boxing Day one year. Um, but they were saying too just how much actually how costly it was to go ahead and do that operation to do a whip around show and usually the ratings weren't that good usually just having one game say man united against i don't know aston villa would have a much greater um, viewing audience than a whip around show that would cost much much more to actually produce but um but definitely it's a good suggestion It'd be great to, if it happened, right, Kartik? You could be watching all these games and seeing kind of a highlights package. I guess ESPN FC kind of is that, although that's not what Bill was asking for. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I liked uh, uh, I liked Goal Zone, right? When when we had uh, not Goal Zone. What was what what was the show called from Premier League Goal Productions? Rush. Goal Rush. Yeah, I like that, but I actually have to say the Golosser show is done is done much better, uh, even the way. Uh, CBS builds in the graphics and 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 the kind of team sheet lineups and and uh, as we've gone through a couple of weeks, Nico and, uh, and and Nico Contour and and Gus Poyer have, have really now got this thing down. The last two days, we didn't talk about it in the uh, in in the in, in our, what we watched, but I, I should say the last two days, I've been really impressed by how quickly they can pivot to uh, another game, pick up the action. Uh, kind of uh, understand what's going on. Not just uh, it's a tougher job for Cantor, the presenter, but Poya has gotten much better with his analysis and his ability to quickly kind of um, pick up on things. So it, it's it's a tough thing as a presenter too, uh, and and I'm not sure that any other network has that level of institutional commitment to any soccer property that CBS is showing right now to the UEFA package to actually pull it off and do it. So that's another consideration. Yeah, it's interesting with the, the whole whip around show because basically this is now mainstream, right? Because we had um, back in the day we had um, Fox Soccer Match Pass. Was it no? Um, no, 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 no. Fox you so- had the conference. You could get the conference from Germany, right? Uh, yeah, somehow, some way. I'm trying to remember how we used to get that. Yeah, because I used to watch that. Maybe it wasn't legal. Honestly, now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking back 12, 10, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I, I don't watch the NFL, so this whole concept of the red zone may have come about first. But my first experience with it was the conference from the Bundesliga, uh, from Bundesliga Productions, which may predate NFL Red Zone. I'm not sure which 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 one was first, but um, they uh, that that, that uh, started at least 10 or 11 years ago, maybe, maybe even longer ago, the conference. Uh, yeah. Actually, I'm sure, I'm sure it was there in the 08-09 season because uh, that was the year that Wolfsburg won the league, and I remember watching some of the conference uh, well, during that time. Well, it's interesting, too, because on, um, on Wednesday, CBS Sports HQ, which, which do a great job of analysis of if, if you want to see some pre-game coverage of the Champions League or Europa League, uh, it begins at 11 o'clock Eastern time and has some really good um, discussion. A lot of it is uh, betting-driven. But, like, for example, on Wednesday, they had an interview with uh, pre-match with Jesse Marsh, and they were talking about tactics, and uh, he was talking about 
uh, a recent game how in terms of formation he was, had the team play in a 4-2-3-1 and then he changed it to a I think a 4-2-2-2 or something like that um and then he was talking about how the players actually during the game, kind of t- towards maybe three quarters of the way through the game, the players came over to him and said, "Hey, coach, this is not working. We need to go back to the four-two-three-one." So, so some really good tactical analysis. But, but Jesse Marsh mentioned kind of in passing. I think Ian Joy asked him and said, "Like, hey, on, on a Wednesday when RB Salzburg are not playing, I mean, what are you doing? Like, how do you experience the Champions League?" And he said that he said, "Like, he said, well, the first game I'm going to watch uh, RB Leipzig." Because uh, I I worked there for a while and I'm, I'm really interested in that team, but he says for the the 3 p.m. Eastern time kickoffs, he says I'm watching the conference. I'm watching it on, on a, a whip around show. So um, for me personally, I, I mean I I enjoy the whip around show, but uh, but sometimes I prefer just the match itself because the whip around show kind of takes me away from the whole experience of watching a game in 90 minutes and kind of just really um, sinking my teeth into it. Like, so for example, I watched in the first half, I watched uh, the whip around show. I actually watched on zone of football uh, on Wednesday. And in the second half, I watched Man United against PSG because I really wanted to, to kind of, kind of review and analyze the, the game itself. Um, and you don't get that when you do have a whip around show, you just see all the highlights and, and oftentimes you miss, you miss, uh, you mean you miss what happens? Well, how the game was actually played? You mean was it really uh, PSG? You mean completely in control, or did they get uh, fortunate with a couple of uh, you mean uh, decisions that went their way? But yeah, def- definitely a good good uh, good comment uh, there from Bill Reese. Next up is Jim Hennessy. Jim says, great work as always on the podcast. Well done. A couple of observations would appreciate your reaction. Number one. I totally agree on the disjointed mess between NBCSN and Peacock. It's really frustrating trying to figure out which channel is broadcasting which game. I would draw your listeners' attention to the World Soccer Talk website, which is typically my lifeline in negotiating this decision point. The same goes for retroactively watching replays. I have spent a lot of time trying to find a specific game high, uh, replay, especially since the NBCSN NBC Sports app and the Peacock app are not intuitive in many ways in looking for games and replays. It's also frustrating to only have the Spanish language replay available for a period of time on NBCSN. Just overall, a bit of a mess. First world problems, of course, but uh, just a real drop in quality from those early days of NBCSN. So, Kartik, before we move on to Jim's second point, do you agree on that one or uh, any, any uh, observations? No, I completely agree. I think it's it's it, it's uh, this this is this is the chief difference. Also, I, I actually I've said also the CBS All Access streams are better, and uh, and and when they're not, I I, uh, uh, I I understand that you know they might get better because uh, of the the shift to Paramount. But um, in addition, finding the matches within the Peacock app or platform is much more difficult than finding Champions League matches or Europa League matches on CBS All Access. Even though CBS All Access actually has more content than Peacock does overall, though Peacock is catching up with content. They've got some some good entertainment things on there now. But I, I really um, am uh, 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 very uh, annoyed by, by the difficulty at actually finding matches when you're on the Peacock app. When you know a match is on Peacock, and then they, they don't 
they're not able to roll coverage in to uh, to 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 uh, uh, to the next match. There's just all kinds of clunkiness, and then maybe the next match is as as uh, Jim mentions could be on NBCSN, and there's no continuity. You have, or if it's on Peacock, you have to change to another Peacock stream, uh, etc. It's it's all very uh, very very. Difficult. Yeah, it's not user friendly at all. Yeah, it's interesting too because I have a friend who lives just about two streets away from me, and uh, he used to be one of the goalkeepers for West Bromwich Albion. So he came over to me the, uh, I think last weekend and came over for a cup of tea and just a kind of a short chat. And he said to me, he says, "This whole peacock thing." He says, "Everything's so complicated now." And I, I said to him, "I said, yeah, well, that's kind of one of the roles of World Soccer Talk is to try to." explain or simplify or uh, find out all the answers to those questions but in many ways streaming wasn't intended for kind of all weekend watching uh i mean yes there's binge watching if you're watching on netflix but those programs are already i mean already recorded they're already in the system uh and it's episode after episode but i think in many ways i think with uh espn plus is the same thing too sometimes there's so much on there, and you know that there's, they have a game, but it's hard to find it sometimes. And and oftentimes, I have to go back to whether it's ESPN Plus or, or CBS or Peacock is just to use the search feature and type in the actual name of the team or whatever I'm looking for, and I'll find it easier that way. So I think it's it's a transition period where um, the apps aren't as intuitive as they should be as far as the way they're designed. Um, but also, there are kind of the mindset that they've they've set this up with is kind of a a single game uh, scenario where for you and I and, and a lot of our listeners, we're watching match after match after match all weekend long. So, in many ways, for us, I think to have a continuous stream, like say a continuous stream of Peacock games, uh, where we don't have to keep on exiting out or once a game has ended or jumping from one to now, now to go to NBS and NBCSN to a different app and then to come back later for Peacock. It, I, I don't think they've really kind of to- totally thought it out. And, and we're right in the middle of that. And, and starting this Sunday, uh, not starting, but this Sunday, every single Premier League match is on Peacock, which includes the North London Derby, which includes Liverpool against Wolves, uh, I mean, there's some big, big, I mean, massive matches. Some some of these matches are some of the biggest matches of the season, depending on which teams you support. So, yeah, it's um, it's not the finished article by any means. And, and same thing with CBS All Access. There were some issues on, on Wednesday with, uh, I mean, people watching a game and, and, you mean, getting an error message and then having to log back out and going back in and then they missed a goal. Um, yeah, it, it's a mess, definitely. And we completely agree there with Jim. Number two on Jim's uh, observations is the studio analysis on both channels, uh, NBCSN and Peacock, is very flat. I miss having the two Robbies together. And Tim Howard is a charisma-free zone. Uh, oh, for characters as compelling as Carragher and even Roy Keane to pro- provide some bite. Number three, commentary is thankfully strong overall. And I want to give props to Lee Dixon as always, and my personal favourite, uh, Jim Beglin. I love it when Jim is co-commentator on my Newcastle games because he is very insightful. And, and Jim's probably one of the, um, kind of almost like the unsung heroes in many ways. I think him and also Andy Townsend is somebody that uh, the more I listen to, and I've been listening to Andy for years, but 
from Andy Townsend, Jim Beglin, Lee Dixon, those are the type of co-commentators. Um, Craig Burley, when he was doing co-commentary uh, week in, week out, I would learn things from. I would appreciate their honesty and uh, how abrupt and kind of direct they were. Um, and yeah, I completely agree there with uh, with Jim Hennessy, uh, a Newcastle United supporter. Next up is Dave Roberts. Dave says, uh, Christopher, you asked why you should care about the MLS regular season when so many teams get into the playoffs. Aside from the fact that the MLS playoff format is in dire need of review and revision, I think your co-host Kartik once answered this question for you. About a year ago, in replying to a letter from a listener who was complaining about a Philadelphia Union game being on at the same time as a Philadelphia Eagles game, Kartik replied by asking, How much of a soccer fan are you? I think that's your answer. Even though I am a proponent of promotion relegation, can we all just please accept the reality that MLS won't embrace the system until it's forced to by either FIFA an asteroid strike, or some crazy act of God, not because of tweets. And Dave, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see MLS changing. I mean, I, I don't I don't think MLS will ever have promotion relegation. I think they could uh, embrace uh, kind of the Liga, Liga MX playoff system and have a split season. And, and I think that would be something that's a compromise where they still feature the play, playoff system that they love. Um, and it gives more meaning to the regular season by splitting it up into two. So it's not so long and uh, unmeaningful. And um, But yeah, I mean, even with MLS, with the playoffs, I've been watching a bunch of those games and, and enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a soccer fan, but uh, I would prefer them to have a different format than the one that they currently have, just because of the regular season to me is just, uh, it can be very boring after the first month. Next up is Wolverine 101, and uh, he or she says, MLS is in a rough spot. The sport is growing here, but they are a distant fifth behind even Major League Baseball, and MLS has serious marketing issues. A lot of people just don't know the league exists, and as a result, you end up with a lot of uh, without a lot of visibility. I live in Nashville and knew MLS existed, but we never saw any coverage at all until a few years ago when we finally found out we were getting a MLS franchise. There needs to be more public image for MLS badly. They need to find a way to get a television contract. The soccer scene in the U.S. at this point isn't really built for promotion relegation right now either. The extreme cost of buy-in for franchising rights leads to a lot of upfront cost to enter the league. ProRail has its advantages, but I don't think um, with where the league is right now, it works well. I do think it could be a possibility in the future, though with the quality of player teams, uh, quality of players teams are, see are seeing coming from USL. And I, and I think with MLS, I think there's, there's two sides to the story. There's the side that, again, is the... If you if you happen to be in a city where there is an MLS team and you you live locally and you enjoy going to those games and you support that club, there's nothing better than than going to your local club and, and supporting your local club. Um, I have a lot of fond memories myself personally, uh, going to Miami Fusion games and meeting my friends and getting engaged and even going to games and just really kind of um, you mean no matter what club it is, enjoying that. 
there's the other side of it, which is the bigger problem that MLS has, and that is that um, competing in a globalized TV market where you can watch anything practically, any game, any league, uh, any club from around the world. And now Major League Soccer is competing against teams from South America, from Mexico, from Africa, from Asia, from Europe. And many of those teams are better quality. Now, that, that might be a team or a league on the other side of the world. But that's the difficulty that MLS has, is trying to grow that and and I don't unless they're planning on making making some changes, I don't see that changing anytime soon. All right, Kartik, we haven't mentioned VAR up until this point uh, on purpose, really, because you I mean it, it can get a little bit cumbersome. But Nick has uh, some message uh, that he wants to share with us. Nick says, I know everybody, including me, is tired of discussing VAR, but I think there is a very important point that seems obvious to me, but has been missed in this conversation until I finally heard Lars make this argument on Monday's Football Weekly. The uh, the issue isn't with VAR. The issue is with the laws of the game that don't make any sense. Take the uh, Andy Robertson, Danny Welbeck issue. uh, To illustrate my point, Robertson committed a direct free kick foul on Welbeck inside the box and therefore Brighton was rightfully awarded a penalty according to the rule book. This felt wrong because not because it wasn't a foul. Nobody would have had an issue if this was punished with a free kick uh, anywhere else on the pitch, but because the punishment is completely disproportionate to the crime. That foul shouldn't uh, shouldn't be punished by an open shot on goal from 12 yards. In that situation, Brighton getting nothing feels more uh, more just than Brighton getting a 75% chance of scoring a goal. But according to the rules, as they are written today, Brighton deserved a penalty, even if most people agree that that's an incorrect outcome. VAR has highlighted this quirkiness in the rules because in the past, minor fouls like that would have been missed completely which led to what was generally accepted as the, 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 the correct outcome, even if it was wrong according to the letter of the law. By catching every single incident inside the box, no matter how minor, VAR has highlighted that giving the same punishment for all fouls inside the box is silly. It might have made sense 30-plus years ago when fouls were only called for serious infractions, but this rule isn't fit for today's era when fouls are, comp- are called much more freely. Most people think it feels unjust to award a 75 pen- uh, 75% chance of a goal for a light foul on the edge of the box, but that was not impeding any kind of goal-scoring opportunity. The solution, though, is not to ignore these fouls, it's to change how they're punished. The same argument can be applied to extremely marginal offside calls, Previously, if a goal was allowed, even though the the attacker was an inch offside, most people were okay with this as it felt fair and within the spirit of the game. Now every offside is litigated to the inch because that's what the rules demand. See silly handball-related penalties as well. The solution is not to abandon VAR entirely. It is to reform the rules so we're playing a game that we actually want to be playing, not one where... If you lightly foul a player on the edge of the the box, they get rewarded with a penalty. For what it's worth, I don't have a great solution to this problem. I think the fairest would be to to award penalties only for interrupting goal-scoring opportunities 
and indirect free kicks for everything else. But this opens up another can of worms when it comes to to determining what a goal scoring opportunity is. For offsides, I think the solution is far far simpler. Get rid of the crosshairs. If somebody is not far enough offside that you can see it in a still image, they're not offside. I apologize for such a lengthy message, but uh, feel free to summarize as you see fit. Uh, I just wanted to share what I think is an important point. Thank you. Kartik, that's um, some really, really good, insightful feedback and opinions there. Um, Do you agree with Nick's take on that? Yeah, I I agree with with much of what Nick has said. In fact, I've long been an advocate for getting rid of penalty kicks for uh, just common infringements, common fouls in the area. Uh, I I think uh, indirect free kick is a much better remedy unless it is a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. So if a player is in the area and is fouled but is moving away from goal or doesn't have control of the ball, yes, it's a foul, yes, it should be penalized, but it should be penalized with an indirect free kick where um, the the opposition, the, the, the defensive team, can set up a wall and, and the ball cannot actually even go directly into the goal. It has to touch another uh, attacking player or... or it, by rule, maybe a, a defensive player uh, for an own goal uh, or be redirected. But uh, I, that's that's been my remedy for years. I've effectively been laughed out of rooms for suggesting that. So I'm, I'm glad that maybe VAR, it, one of the, the benefits of VAR will be people will see the absurdity of the rules and, and the punitive punishments for uh, things that, you know, the punishment never fits the crime. If, if you clip a guy uh, as he's entering the area or as he's moving away from goal or if, as he's lost control of the ball, there are a lot of uh, strikers who are deceptive. They're very clever. They will take a touch. It will be a bad touch. The keeper will commit or the defender will commit and they'll embellish the contact. It was their poor technique that led to the <laughs> foul. They're moving away from goal uh, often with the bad touch, but they get a penalty kick. And um, as he says, that's a 75% chance of scoring. So I, I think maybe this will give us a proper inquest. Laura Sigurdsson, I heard that as well. Uh, the same comments he made on uh, Football Weekly this week uh, with Max Rushton. So uh, I'm hopeful that maybe that's one benefit of VAR. Because this was, by rule, clearly a penalty, clearly a foul on Robertson. Welbeck was fouled, and uh, Brighton converted the penalty. They had missed a penalty earlier in the match, but uh, when uh, Maupay was uh, was still on the pitch. The, the, but the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And I would say that's the case with about 75% of penalty kicks that are rewarded. The punishment doesn't fit the crime, and uh, it, it seems... Absurd that there could be a, a, because scoring is at such a premium in this sport, unlike other team sports, that uh, there could be a match which is a one nil match where one team completely dominates. The other team doesn't even have an opportunity on goal and they get a late penalty and it's one one. Now, now that was not the case in the Brighton Liverpool match, by the way, because Brighton had plenty of opportunities and played some good football at times. What I'm saying is kind of a general observation. There have been matches where that's happened. And uh, that that is not a good look for the sport. I know it makes it maybe more competitive and more interesting, but it makes it, uh, uh, I think, more uh, a little more unfair. Yeah, as as of right now, I mean, the game has become more frustrating to watch. So, I mean, call the referee's blowing his whistle more often than in the past because uh, VAR will pick things up, uh, and then we've seen some leagues, such as the Premier League, um, probably use VAR too much. You mean where every little tiny incident is going to VAR? 
uh, MLS, watching MLS this season and watching some of the MLF, uh, MLS playoff games, sometimes it feels that VAR's used too little because sometimes there's a blatant penalty and uh, they won't stop the game. They'll keep keep on going. And maybe a couple of minutes later, you mean the announcer, the commentator says, okay, well, obviously VAR felt that that was okay and they continued to the play. And sometimes I'm like, why wouldn't they have stopped that that point and actually looked at that? So I get it helps Major League Soccer because the game is more free flowing, um, but then it's still not perfect. Uh, also, because sometimes maybe things are overlooked or missed where it should have been a, a call. But yeah, going back to Nick's point, I, I think definitely, absolutely, the rules need to change uh, if we are to continue with our. Um, goal line technology is just one example has been something that's been fantastic um, almost foolproof I mean it's other than that Sheffield United Aston Villa game and probably probably a couple other games for the most part it's been perfect but VAR I mean the rules have to be updated uh, for VAR because right now it, it's a mess it's very disjointed and we saw too even last weekend too the, the MLS game uh, Orlando against New England Revolution uh, similar to Harry Kane a few weeks ago, where the striker against Brighton, right? Uh, Harry Kane causes a, a penalty. Uh, he, he knows what's happening. He causes the foul. He causes Adam Lalana to foul him and wins the penalty. And we saw that with Orlando, with, uh, I think, DK. Uh, instead of going for the ball, he decided to go ahead and put himself in a position where he knew he would get fouled from the defender. The defender couldn't stop in time, and he causes a penalty. Uh, Orlando gets the penalty, and then Nani uh, misses the penalty, and then New England goes on to win the game. But it's um, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for players. It's, it's frustrating for fans, um, and the rules need to change. And, and there are discussions in place uh, underway um, that hopefully these things will change pretty quickly. But... Uh, we're in a transition period, that's for sure, especially if FAR continues. In, in, in another example of what they do is I've seen Luis Suarez do this a few times, actually. Take a bad touch away from goal, drag uh, your, 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 uh, one of your feet, and, and generally it's mm-hmm. his right foot. And then, uh, uh, so the longer you drag the foot, the more chance there is of contact from a defender or the goalkeeper, and uh, you get rewarded with a penalty. I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty absurd, honestly. Yeah, we were mentioning a few minutes ago about Jim Beglin, and Jim Beglin, I think on Twitter this week had a, a long discussion, and he was saying it, it's a diver's paradise right now. That he knows, I mean, any striker who likes to take a dive you mean for right now i mean chances are maybe like nine times out of ten now that um the game will be stopped var will look at it and they'll look for anything that may have contributed to uh to that foul if there was contact any type of contact even the slightest contact then it's a penalty and and that that person wins the penalty for his team and usually i mean 75 percent of the time they will score from that penalty and win the game and um that's that's not what football is meant to be about, and uh, and I think having VAR in place um, really kind of uh, uh, kind of basically accentuates that is kind of encourages uh, strikers to to dive because chances are maybe they'll win a penalty. I mean, it's rare that they get a yellow card for diving. Every once in a while, you'll see that. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. So, if you have any questions, feedback, observations. 
um, more so about streaming or TV coverage. That's kind of our, our specialty. But of course, uh, about some of the other things we've talked about too, or or haven't talked about, uh, definitely let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. In addition to the podcast, um, there's some other ways you can connect with us too, uh, including our daily email newsletter, which goes out uh, uh, every uh, night at 8, 8 p.m. Eastern. That includes uh, a lot of the, the major soccer stories from the day, as well as links to all of the, the TV schedules and streaming schedules for games uh, on US TV and streaming. And, uh, and of course, also the worldsoccertalk.com website. Uh, Kartik, also, we launched our uh, World Soccer Talk store this past week, uh, right before the... Uh, actually, it was on, Bla- uh, on Black Friday. And um, we've got some great merchandise. We've, we've got, so we've ordered some for you, too, so you'll have some uh, delivered to you soon. But we've got uh, Enjoy Your Football t-shirts. Uh, we've got World Soccer Talk mugs. We've got uh, a whole ton of different things. So so check it out at worldsoccertalk.com slash merch or just go to the home page and you'll see the um the merch uh icon at the very top um the actual link to that uh, store so so definitely check it out yeah some super cool merchandise or uh, cool designs really uh uh very socially acceptable designs too i would say because sometimes you get clo- football clothing and you're not you don't really want to wear it out but this really cool casual clothing uh in that shop yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm wearing one, one of the t-shirts now. It's actually, it's, it's really cool. Really, really cool designs uh, for hardcore soccer fans like ourselves. All right, Kartik, so where can listeners uh, uh, stay updated on your, uh, uh, on Twitter? Where can they find you? Uh, at KKFLA737. Okay, and you can find me at World Soccer Talk. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast every Thursday on your favorite assistant, whether it's Google Home or Alexa, as well as on uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, uh, etc. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. In Kartik, heading into another week of soccer from around the world, what should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs> <laughs>